Can we pray the Lord's Prayer together? And if you don't know those words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. If you let me this morning, I'd like to teach you to pray. Well, maybe I should paraphrase that. I'd like to teach you how I pray and invite you to figure out ways that work best for you for prayer. I'm trying to figure out analogies and word pictures that describe where we live today, and I came across one that I thought might be good. How about this? Perhaps the best metaphor to describe our hurried and distracted lives in America today is that of a car wash. When you pull up to a car wash, you're instructed to leave your motor on, to take your hands off the steering wheel, to put the car in neutral, and keep the foot off the brake. The idea is that the machine itself will suck you through. For most of us, that's what our days do. They just suck us through. We have smartphones and radios and televisions and all kinds of communication devices that stimulate us before we even wake up. Many of us are texting and calling and checking Facebook <clears throat> and emails, getting news feeds, listening to music even before we shower, eat breakfast. The drive to work, the walk to work, the ride the bike to work is the same pattern. Stimulated and preoccupied, we listen to voices all day long. We text, we hear, we're stimulated. We return finally to our place of residence, more conversation, more activities, more preoccupations. Eventually we go to bed, we probably on our phone or TV some more, we finally fall asleep. We wake up, we start over again, and we wonder where's God in all this? Could it be that we're living life like a car wash? We're just getting sucked through? So what I'd like to do is invite you to think about developing some, some rituals for prayer. And come on, focus on chapter 23, verse 11. So can I have you do, turn your Bibles to that, please? And I'm, already I can feel the tension in the room. So, so I hope this is really, an, uh, I want to encourage, I'd like to help if I may. So if you look at 2311, this is one of the three passages of the resurrected Christ we talked about last Sunday. So 2311 is the third. So this morning, I'm going to focus on two words in 2311. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage. Those two words, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So that's one of three appearances. Now go back to chapter 22, and beginning at verse 6, here's the first of three resurrection appearances by Jesus. About noon as I came near Damascus, 22.6, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, Jesus said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told what you've been assigned to do. 
Then down to chapter 22, verse 17, here's a second appearance of the risen Jesus to Paul. 22, 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, now look at that phrase. I want you to think, remember the phrase, praying at the temple. I'm going to talk about a specific time. I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, Jesus said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Verse 21, then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. In chapter 23, verse 11, the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Jerusalem. So last week, the word I used was resurrection, the resurrected Christ. And I used a couple phrases that I had written earlier, and one of them was this. What each of us chooses to believe about the resurrection influences the trajectory of how we live. What you really believe about the resurrection can be seen in how you live each day. I'm going to use a phrase later on in the slide. In fact, can I have the Francis Haberfly's uh, quote? I think it's like number seven, maybe. There are, two, there are two things together. There you go. Francis Schaeffer has an interesting phrase that goes like this. The world can be described as people who live above or below the line of despair. The people who believe in their resurrection have the power and ability to live above the line of despair. And those who don't live below the line of despair. Does that make sense? So what you think about the resurrection, what I th actually think about the risen Christ, is it a dead guy that we read about, or do we actually believe Christ is alive? What we actually believe should be seen in how we live. How we live can often be described then. Do we live above or below the line of despair? So let's go back now to chapter 23. I'm going to read a couple more verses, and then we're going to get into this deeply. So I ended last week at chapter 22, verse 30. Let's start right there. Chapter 22, verse 30. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And then you have this large conversation and it gets crazy. Verse 6 I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope. Remember, hope is anticipatory, the, the, the looking forward to the resurrection. When he said this, a dispute broke out among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees says no resurrection, no angels, no spirits. Pharisees believe them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent, the commander was afraid it would be torn to pieces. He ordered the troops to take him down and take him by force from the barracks and bring him, take him by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood before Paul. So let me describe this for you now. It's crazy. Now, what I want to get at now, I want to talk about the level of spiritual warfare. So what, I want, what I'd like to really push into, why, why I would, do we need to be people who develop rituals of prayer? 
And what I would like you to see from this passage in just quick overview is the level of spiritual warfare is amazing. Last night we showed the movie Paul. Several hundred people came. And one of the things that was so striking for those who have not done much study is the level of violence. What's really interesting about this movie, and if you don't have it, you'll get it on Blu-ray, borrow it from the library. It is driven by flashbacks. And what's interesting is when Paul has all these flashbacks of people he has hurt or killed, and then he has the sense then in the midst of that of the risen Christ and how the risen Christ changed how he lives. It is unbelievable to watch. The violence. Now listen to this about violence. When we see physical violence, and if you read the passage six times, it says they want to kill him. Let me describe the killers. The word is the assassins. They would have a knife about this long, and there were 40 men who said, we will fast and pray until we kill this guy. So they take their knives and they put them here. Most of them were right-handed, but a few would be left-handed because left-handed people who killed a knife would often be a surprise. So the 40 assassins say, we will not eat or drink until we kill him. So they said to the Sanhedrin, get the commander, to bring Paul over, bring him out, we'll, we will kill him. So now the, the plot is going to be uncovered. And to get Paul out of the Sanhedrin, they, they, you don't read this in English, they put him on like this. The soldiers have to carry him out because the people are going crazy. They're fighting, they're screaming, there's this is, in, this is in the Sanhedrin. And the crowds all through Acts are just angry, angry, angry. Now watch this now. When you see heightened levels of violence, when you see heightened levels of angry discourse, when you see relationships just breaking all over, you need to ask yourself, how is our spiritual enemy engaging this situation? So there is a massive spiritual battle here again to kill Paul. Why? Because he is en route to where? Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth is considered to be Rome. So he has set his mind to get to Rome. And every step of the way, there's violence, there's racism, there's almost every chapter, there's all this stuff. Why? The spiritual enemy is working overtime. Now, let me stop. Do you understand the magnitude of the spiritual battle that is raging around you and us now? Can you see it? Do you hear it? Look at our culture. Where are we? Where's the war? What do you see? The scriptures say as we move closer to the end of time, there's going to be a heightened battle. Into that context, last week, we need to choose to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and it affects how we live. How it affects we live is we need to learn to pray. So in 2311, you have two words. Take Heart. Interesting use of phrase. That word, it's one word in the Greek, it's used five times in the New Testament. Five times. Here they are. Some men brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. 
Here's the second. Matthew 9. Jesus went to this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He said, take courage, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And she was healed at the moment. Matthew 14. Jesus said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When the storm is raging, the water is coming over the boat, he says what? Take courage. Fourth one, John 16. I have told you these things because in this world you will experience tribulation. But take courage, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. And now here in 23, take courage. And let's do this. As we learn from St. Paul, when we do battle, when the battle is pitched, when the struggle is long and hope is dimming, we need to hear words from the Lord. So here were his words. Take courage. So let's break these two words down. How do you take? What does it mean to take something? Right? Is it right? So what is Jesus saying? I'm going to give you something. You have to take it. Now remember now, if you're living above or below the line of despair. When I'm living below the line of despair, when Jesus says, take courage, uh, you don't know how bad, you didn't realize that my son died and I'm so sad. And I just don't want to take courage because my life is just really, really bad. How many things does St. Paul go through? Let me just stop. I, I never thought about this till the movie last night. Can you imagine how haunted he was by how many people he killed or caused to be killed? You know how the movie ends? Let me, I'm going to wreck your movie. You've got to watch it. You gotta watch it. The movie ends when all the people he has killed, starting with a little girl, in the movie he is beheaded, the movie ends, the heavens opened, and all the people Paul has killed or caused to die are waiting for him. At the front of the line is a young girl, and she runs to him. And behind them all is Jesus. I mean, you were there. Were you crying like I was crying? Ay, ay, ay. So think about his flashback. Think about how many things he knew all the people he had killed or caused to die. And in the midst of that, he is impacted by the risen Jesus. He is so mindful that Jesus is alive that he can say, think about this now. Think Almost all that he's written comes from prison. Listen to these words of Romans 7. So flashbacking, flashbacking. I killed all these people. Flashback. All the things I don't want to do, these I keep on doing. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Romans 7. What's the first verse in chapter 8? But there is now therefore no condemnation. As he is flashing back, he hears the words of Jesus. In chapter 23, he heard the words, take courage. What is courage? Strength. It is power. It is inner bolstering. Take it. 
but it requires what? A sense that he heard the words of Jesus. Let me push. Have you been hearing any words from the resurrected Jesus? We'll start with these. We get a whole bunch of words here. There is now no condemnation. Two weeks ago, I was going to do it, read this, and I forgot. In the chapter 21, when the violence is raging, he is standing before the authorities, and St. Paul remembered these words, which someone then wrote down. We stand before as sheep to be slaughtered. We face death all day long, Romans 8. And then what does he say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also in Jesus give us all things? And then what does he say? For I am convinced. Remember now, he's he's probably, possibly going to die. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the movie, he puts his head right here and you watch the executioner and then it slips away. And the heavens open. And here comes the cloud of witnesses, a number of whom he has killed. And behind him is Jesus. Do you think those words were not important to him as he lived his life? Take, take, take courage. Take it. Now, I want to talk about how we get this. So one of the things I'm going to suggest to you one more sentence. Here's, here's a pithy one, P-I-T-H-Y. And let this stew through your minds and provide a little bit of troubling. Listen to this. The severity of our testing increases with the depth of our maturity. The more deeply embedded we are in Jesus, the greater the tests that come our way. Why? Because we keep receiving invitations to exercise more faith. So you know how muscles are. Our our bodies are so good that when we get to some level of physical whatever, it just adapts to that place. If you want to become more physically fit, I am told by people like Barry, you have to exercise. Well, I'm told. And the muscles get stronger. Our faith is a muscle that has to be exercised. When we, and I don't misunderstand how I say this now. I believe in the walk with Christ who loves us deeply, who's filling with his spirit. He invites us again and again and again to places where we have to exercise faith. Why? 
Because the scriptures say without faith, it is impossible to please God. He wants us to exercise faith. Listen now, on this side of the heavens, we have relationship based on faith. But on the other side, when we see him faith to face to face, there'll be no faith and there'll be no hope. There will only be love. We exercise faith to keep growing in love, saying, I'm going to trust him, I'm going to trust him. But what happens when tongues get tough, we just get mad. When we get angry, we get hurt. Oh, yeah, 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 I understand all that. I get that. But do we choose to live below or above the line of despair? So I'm going to talk about praying a bit now with you, if I may. And so let me start with uh, slide number four. I'm going to go back to some of the ancient fathers and mothers. This, is, this comes, from the, this comes from, this, from the book of Acts. Our mindfulness of the Lord's existence is very much linked to fidelity in prayer. What's fidelity mean? Help me. Come on, English people. Pardon me? Faithfulness, loyalty, commitment. Our mindfulness, our being aware of the Lord's presence is very much connected to our faithfulness, our loyalty, our commitment to prayer. Now listen to this next sentence. This comes out of the third century. There is sustaining power in ritual. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, multiple times you'll see the disciples, Jesus, and the apostles observing times of prayer. So what were the Jewish times of prayer? We'd be one in the morning, one would be about noon, and one would be at three o'clock in the afternoon. So the devout Jews would create rituals for prayer. So when Peter and John walk into the temple early in Acts, they're going to the building in the hour of prayer. It's nine o'clock in the morning. When Paul is on the rooftop receiving a vision, he is praying on the roof in the hour of prayer. Here, prayer. Now, 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 let me give you an example. There is Power, sustaining power and ritual. So let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. What's the fastest growing religion in the world right now? Islam. If you have flown internationally with a devout Muslim, what will happen throughout the flight? They will get in the aisle. Five times a day. The people of Islam have a ritual of prayer. Why are they so committed to Allah? Because five times a day they pray. Can I ask a question? How many times a day do you pray? And when you pray, how do you pray? Help. Help. Or do you pray differently? Now look, next slide. Look at the next slide. Why are prayer rituals so important? This comes from the second century. The ancient fathers said this. Prayer rituals carry us in our fatigue, in attentiveness, indifference, and even distaste. The rituals of prayer keep us praying when we can't. So I'll give an example. 
Watch Kirk die in seven days. I cannot tell you how many times I prayed this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Watching my son die, I, I am pooped. I had not slept for a week. My mind was spinning. Was God going to answer prayer? My kid is dying. And all I could pray is a prayer I memorized. And it's these rituals of prayer that sustain us. So Paul, again, is going to be in this butcher place of maybe getting killed. And he has such a relationship with the Lord because he is a ritual prayer. That when the Lord said, take courage, I am certain he thought back to all the times that Jesus had said, take courage. Take courage. Take courage. So my question now is, what rituals of prayer do you have? And we all know this. Um, the first service, um, Chandra, and, uh, Chandra sang and uh, Rebecca played, and they just played beautifully. And I thought to myself as I'm listening and worshiping with them, can you imagine me sitting at the baby grand piano? Would that would sound like? Or would you even dare be in the room when I went to the microphone and started to sing? But these two women have practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. And that which just seems easy. Chandra sings with beauty. Rebecca plays with talent. And the same thing applies to prayer. Yes? So let me ask you a question. How do you pray? So what did the disciples say? All the rabbis taught their disciples to pray somehow. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. How do you pray? So let me just, I'm gonna, now, if you'll let me, just let me, let me give you slide eight real quick, and then I'm going to show how I do it. So here are some ways. Here are some ways. I'm, I, I just, these are, there are many ways. I'm, I'm, what, my, my, what I'm trying to do right now is invite you to identify some personal rhythms, rituals for you, for you in prayer. Because you need to have the sense of the risen Christ that you are ritually engaged to so that you are free to dance and sing and follow and obey because you've got such a relationship. So how about read and listen to Scripture at the same time each day? On your way to work, on your way to school, just short amounts of money, uh, time. Listen to it, whatever. Stop light prayer. I'll give you some real specifics. Anytime at a stoplight, watch me. Pull up next to me. I put down my head and I pray. Or this is always next to me in my car. I show this. I start to pray. How about this? Is funny. So I get to tell you a funny story, but it's got a point. One day I came back from Des Moines, and I was in the right lane, and I set my uh, cruise control at the right speed. And I was surprised there was an unmarked car behind me all the way. We got to Pella, and all of a sudden, lights came on. It was a high patrol officer. He said, I've been following you for 48 minutes just to see if you're obeying the speed laws. 
So I'm telling you that story because just people are watching us. But he said, why were you driving the speed limit? I said, it's a spiritual rhythm. He said, what? <laughs> See, wacky preachers. So let me tell you what I began to learn in Los Angeles. So in where we lived, back in the day, there are six to nine lanes on each side of the freeways. Each side. And you typically drive between 70 and 90 miles an hour, depending on traffic. As a spiritual rhythm, I put my car in cruise control on the right lane at the speed limit. Everyone can cut in front of me. And I drove slowly. And I slowed down. And I prayed. You stop at a stoplight. Pray. Drive in traffic. Just drive slow. Pray. I'm going to cover this. We all experience the pause that refreshes. You talking about? You're not following me. Do I have to explain this? <laughs> it's called the bathroom. Instead of grabbing your phone, pray. Simple little things. What? So, how? How many times a day at a stoplight? How many times a day do you sit on the toilet? How many times a day do you ride in the right lane? All of a sudden, you start to develop patterns of prayer. How about this one? Pray before and after meals. I'm doing something different with our grandkids. I'm praying with them, and I'm doing increasingly. You watch me. I'm, I'm making the sign of the cross. As I get older... I'm so embracing more the traditions of the Christian church. But there's something about saying, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So after I pray in a public place, I do this. And I cannot tell you how many people afterwards say to me, we saw you. Thank you for praying. I never said a word. Pray before or after meals. How about podcasts as your wife is run, as you ride your bike, whatever? Pray the hours. This is just, this, no, this is, this is anal me, so forgive me. For 10 years, Lane and I were praying the hours. In the course of a year, you read through the whole of the scripture. All the prayers are written as, all scriptures written as prayers. And this has been going on for about 15 centuries, I think. Right now, we estimate about 32 million people are praying the hours around the world every day. That gets really big. So after Kirk died, we've been using this called Venite. It's a very brief little volume, and it gives you four times a day. So I pray every morning when I wake up. At the noon hour, often I have lunch meetings. This is right next to my seat. Before I go in, I pray. Before I go home, I pray. And before I go to sleep, I pray. Four times a day, I have a ritual of prayer. May I keep pushing? Sit in the pot, I pray. At a stoplight, I pray. I drive to Des Moines, right lane, I pray. Recently, to help me, I've been carrying this. Can you see it? It's a little cross. I keep it in my pocket. If someone has a need, a concern, a challenge, can you see it even? It reminds me to focus on the risen Christ. It, pays, it helps me pay attention. 
invites me to listen with the eyes, hear with the Spirit, and to pray with people. And if these things are, don't resonate with you at all, can I just remind you? Remember this last summer? Let's just see if we can remember. If we say the Jesus prayer, and you remember it, would you say it after me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Can we just say the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You just remembered three prayers. For your attention, if you want, back there. Welcome, Center. If you don't want to pray books, keep in your pocket, in your wallet, in your car, in your bathroom, and just start to say the prayers. Say the prayers. Say the prayers. Let me give you another one. I did this several months ago. Two prayers. One side's protection, one side set free. Every Saturday night that I'm going to preach on Sunday, I walk through this building with several gallons of holy water, consecrated holy water, and I cleanse the space. And I start with this prayer. And I memorize this part of it. Lord, if this past week has caused me to experience impatience, anger, lust, or hate, cleanse me of those things and replace them with love and joy and peace. That's just embedded. After a difficult time with someone, that's part of my prayer. How about this? In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of his cross and his blood, I bind the power of any evil spirits and command them not to block my prayers. And I have this prayer I pray over all of you every Tuesday morning and every Saturday night. I pray for you by name. I go through the directories on Tuesdays. I go, to go through the pictures, and I pray for you by every... So listen, I'm, I'm very self-disclosing. Every Tuesday, I pray for you. I go through the church directory or all the new member pictures. I pray for you by name every Tuesday. I'm not doing it to brag. That's a ritual. I pray in the pot. I pray in the right lane. I pray at stoplights. I pray in the morning. I pray in the afternoon. I pray. Why? Because I want to have a relationship with the living Jesus. And I forget. 
because I'm going through the car wash of life and I'm just being sucked everywhere and I have to have those things that just draw me back and draw me back and draw me back to the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And his name is Jesus. So back to the screen again, Dave. Perhaps one of these work for you. These are at the Welcome Center, but can I invite you what, what rituals of prayer could you begin to develop? Let me tell you one more story, and then I'll quit. When I fought 40 years ago, I started acting like I was a pastor. And I said to Elaine 40 years ago, I'll never forget this conversation. I felt very weak and very insecure and very inadequate. I said, Elaine, I don't know the Bible. I, I don't feel like I know really very much about the Lord. My wife said, well, I'll give you two suggestions. Read your Bible every day and pray some set prayer every day. She said, in 40 years, you'll know something. I don't know a lot, but I know something. Let me change that. I don't know something. I know someone. You? Ain't God good? He wants a relationship with us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you help us to be people who long to receive your goodness, your presence, your grace, that we can be women and men and boys and girls who live with great courage, who live with faith, who offer love, who live above the line of despair. So we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done as we learn and choose and practice to be people who pray. So we pray, Lord, for courage. We pray for faith. And we pray for love. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.